Just before noon on March 31st, 1995, Selena Quintanilla Perez, just 23 years old and one of the most famous pop stars in the world, knocked on the door of room 158 at the Days Inn in Corpus Christi, Texas. Inside was Yolanda Saldivar, the former president of Selena's fan club and the manager of a chain of clothing boutiques Selena owned. Selena and her father Abraham had previously discovered Saldivar was embezzling huge sums of money from Selena's fan club and boutiques, and on March 9th, 1995, they confronted her with the evidence. Saldivar denied doing anything wrong and assured Selena she could show her the financial records to prove it. Three weeks later, Saldivar asked Selena to come to the Days Inn to see what she had found. Saldivar opened the door and Selena entered, and the two had a brief, terse conversation before the singer gathered up the financial records and turned to leave the room. It was then that Saldivar reached into her purse and pulled out a 38 caliber revolver pointed it at Selena's back and pulled the trigger. The bullet struck Selena in the lower right shoulder and exited through her upper chest, severing the subclavian artery as it passed through. Critically wounded, the singer stumbled from the room and down the corridor to the lobby, leaving a trail of blood in her wake. As she reached the lobby and collapsed, Salvador was still following her, gun in hand. Saldivar ran outside and disappeared from sight. Hotel staff called paramedics who arrived a few minutes later and tried to save Selena, but she was pronounced dead at the hospital 90 minutes later, and the world was left to wonder what might have been for one of the most beloved young artists in the history of music. I'm Jason Beckerman. I'm Derek Kaufman. And this is Last Days, Selena. Yolanda Saldivar was born and raised in San Antonio to a middle-class Mexican-American family. She attended the University of Texas for a short time, performed a series of odd jobs, but eventually enrolled in nursing school. And after graduating in 1981, she worked part-time in a dermatologist's office, but was later fired when she was accused of stealing $9,000 from his medical practice. And a couple months after that, the state of Texas went after her for $7,000 in unpaid student loans. Over the next four years, Yolanda worked as a nurse in one hospital after another, never really staying in one place for long, but she mostly avoided trouble during this time. Also during this time, Saldivar began attending outdoor concerts throughout San Antonio, including one featuring a Tejano singing teenager who was becoming a sensation, and Saldivar had heard she was getting very famous very fast. Tejano is a musical genre that was, at the time, extremely popular among people in the border regions of the United States, though it was widely derided across the border in Mexico. Though exclusively sung in Spanish, the genre is heavily influenced by jazz, R&B, and even polka. You can hear these influences, as well as Selena's incredible singing voice, in one of her early hits, To Eres. Incidentally, Selena spoke far less than fluent Spanish. Her older brother, A.B., who wrote and or produced most of her big hit songs, was fluent. But Selena had to learn and repeat her brother's lyrics phonetically, even if she didn't always know exactly what they meant. 
Yeah, so what Selena actually lacked in language skills, speaking Spanish fluently, she more than made up for with this enormous talent. And she really was, at this time, an absolute phenomenon in San Antonio and elsewhere. Between 1986 and 1991, with her brother churning out songs, kind of like a Billie Eilish and her brother right. churning out songs together, and her father promoting her, Selena released seven albums. She won a dozen Tejano Music Awards, played to increasingly large crowds in larger and larger venues, and became an English-language commercial spokesperson for Coca-Cola. You're sort of seeing the seeds of what's to become. This woman who was mostly spoken English, but she, she spoke enough Spanish to get by, considered bilingual, was recording music exclusively in Spanish, but was very appealing to an English-speaking audience in Texas. She becomes an English-language commercial spokesperson for Coca-Cola, She's got this personality, this charm. She's bilingual for the most part. She is becoming something very quickly. It's interesting because you can see her sort of crossing over in real time right. as it's happening in the mid-90s. She's doing something that no Spanish-language pop artist, quite frankly, had done before. She was winning over a huge, non-Spanish-speaking American audience. She was sort of like a Bad Bunny before Bad Bunny, right? Bad Bunny now, speaking, singing exclusively in Spanish, is one of the biggest artists in the world. That was who Selena was becoming, exclusively singing in Spanish, and this is 30 years ago. I think that's right. I mean, there had been predecessors who would sing in Spanish. I think of Richie Valens would sometimes yes. sing in Spanish, but he would constantly try to cover that with American lyrics. Yes. He was trying to introduce Spanish culture to American culture by speaking the language of English. She did it very differently. She straddled both worlds very, very effectively. Her 1990 album, Ven Conmigo, became the first Tejano album to reach gold status and was later even certified double platinum and earning her her first Grammy nomination for Best Mexican-American Performance. She follows that up in 1991 with Entre Mundo, the album that would largely define her career. And though sung entirely in Spanish, it's popular among both Spanish and non-Spanish-speaking Americans. It rockets to number one on Billboard's Spanish-language music chart, where it remains there for the next eight consecutive months. I mean, it was an absolute juggernaut. It wouldn't go away. That's an enormous period of time for an album to stay on the charts in that position. It annihilated the record for best-selling Tejano record of all time. The first single off that album, Como La Flor, became Selena's signature song, and she used it as her encore at nearly every concert she gave from then on. So Como La Flor did something else that at the time was unthinkable for a Mexican-American singer. It dominated the music charts in Mexico. Remember, Tejano music, we talked about at the top, was completely derided in Mexico. There's Whatever tensions there exist between Mexican and Mexican-Americans is doubled, quadrupled when it comes to Tejano music. This is something that was exclusively an American genre. Remember, it was influenced by European uh, types of musical like music like polka and also African-American music in the, in the terms of jazz and R&B. And so Mexicans, prior to this point, completely rejected as a form of music that was popular sure. in Mexico, Selena's bringing in to break down those walls. And it really did. Andre Ami Mundo becomes the second best-selling album of its kind in Mexican history, still a designation it holds. And you're right. I remember at this time, uh, Mexican 
people were largely into the authenticity of the Mexican music. Right. And what Tejano music represented was this threat, this sort of watering down with American culture, Mexican music. But she was able to bridge that gap and be popular both in America and in Mexico at the same time. And so her father, Abraham, we've talked about him before, ever the entrepreneur, he's quickly capitalizing on this moment where he sees that his daughter is being able to straddle these two cultures. He books Selena for a really high-profile, high-stakes press tour in Monterey. Recall, she is far from fluent, and now she's going to go on an interview tour in Mexico, and her record label, EMI Latin, was terrified she would lose credibility with her Mexican fan base when they found out how the fact she was not fluent. But instead, she charmed the hell out of everyone, uh, getting by with the Spanish she knew and self-deprecatingly leaning into her poor grammar and American accent. Instead of outing her as a fraud and as a record label feared, they really called her authentic. They called her a woman of the people. And they really accepted her as one of their own. It was really important moment for her. Yeah, it's no small feat. As we said, there was a lot of skepticism, particularly right. in Mexico, about her rise. And it was this tour that became so critical because she was at the precipice of true superstardom. And she nails it. She nails it. And a few days later, she hits the road to promote her new album, Amor Prohibido, which culminated six months later in front of 70,000 people in Monterey, Mexico, one of the biggest stadium tours, uh, stadiums in the world. The performance garnered her the title of the biggest Tejano act in Mexico, but in truth, she was the unquestioned biggest Latin act in the world, and it really wasn't close. Amor Prohibido was a stunning commercial success. It is today the fourth best-selling album by a Latin performer in history, only behind albums by the Gypsy Kings at number three, Buena Vista Social Club at number two, and one other Selena album that is number one. It's the biggest of them all, and we'll get to that in a few minutes. Uh, Billboard Magazine ranked the title track, Amor Prohibido, the fifth greatest Spanish language song of all time. Take a listen. So as Selena's fame grew, so did Yolanda Saldivar's involvement in the singer's life. Her success growing the fan club really ingratiated her in the early going with Abraham and Selena, and they quickly brought her into the fold to run various aspects of her sort of growing business. Uh, In 1993, Selena decides to launch this clothing line and sort of leverage her celebrity uh, through this fashion line, open a chain of boutiques. She appoints Saldivar to manage the operation and gave her full access to the company's finances. And even more than that, Selena and Saldivar became close friends, constant companions. She even got a key to Selena's house. Remember, Selena is young. She's in her early 20s. Yolanda Saldivar, at this stage of their relationship... 10 years older, 10, 11 years older than Selena. Sort of a maternal figure in her life. Abraham is the money and the finance. He's her father. He's the paternal role. Her mom's involved. uh, Selena's mom is great, and she's involved as well. But... Uh, but Yolanda is younger things. to her, younger, more of a friendly relationship. They She gives her a key to her house, the whole thing. But there, yeah, there was a lot of closeness there. It's unlikely, however, that Selena ever visited Saldivar's home. And that's because had she done so, she would have discovered the depth of Saldivar's obsession with her. Uh, there were hundreds of pictures, newspaper clippings of Selena just covering the walls in her home. And one former roommate even described the whole place as a shrine to Selena. Other friends and colleagues, including Selena's fashion designer, Martin Gomez, expressed concern over Saldivar's behavior and management skills and later described her devotion to Selena as bordering on obsessive. 
Many of Selena's other employees described Saldivar as possessive, controlling. Uh, they said she would fire anyone at the drop of a hat if they developed a sort of friendly relationship with Selena. She was very sort of protective over her and jealous. Word, yeah. um, it's impossible to know what, if anything, Selena knew of Saldivar's behavior, but Selena continued to entrust her with more and more responsibility and greater access to her finances. So by late 1994, Abraham starts hearing complaints from several fan club members that though they sent in their $22 membership fee for the fan club, they never actually got the promised T-shirts, CDs, photographs from doing so. So Abraham starts checking into the club accounts and he sees no record of any membership fees. And now he's really concerned. Um, he hires a private investigator at that point to examine the business accounts and really take a harder look at Saldivar's past. And as we mentioned before, she had a checkered history with some financial misdeeds. By February 1995, the investigators reported back to Abraham and confirmed his worst fears. Saldivar had been depositing the fan club checks into her personal accounts, embezzling tens of thousands of dollars from the boutiques using forged checks and laundering a ton of money from other sources through these business accounts. They'd also finally uncovered these past allegations against Saldivar. Remember the 9000 she stole from the dermatologist's office, the $7,000 in unpaid loans. So the world around Yolanda Saldivar, who is at the center of the business of Selena is starting to crumble. Yeah, so Abraham keeps the news from Selena for now. She's finishing up the Amor Prohibido tour, and she wants to, he wants to allow her to do so without disruption. And what, as you mentioned, it's delicate. They know each other. They're close. They're friends, yes. right. Uh, one of the final tour dates was at the Houston Astrodome on February 25th. If you've seen the Selena movie uh, starring J-Lo, this is featured both at the beginning of that movie and the end of that movie. She's wearing this really bright, purple wrap dress. Selena looks fantastic. J-Lo looks fantastic wearing the same exact dress in the movie. And it turns out this this is the concert. It has the largest ever concert in the history of the Astrodome up to that point. There were over 61,000 people there to see Selena. After the concert, Abraham tells Selena what he has learned about Yolanda, and Selena is crestfallen. Remember, this is a very close friend of hers, as somebody who's entrusted with her entire life. On March 9th, Abraham and Selena confronted an unsuspecting Saldivar with their evidence, and Selena fired her on the spot. In tears, Saldivar denied the accusations and said she could provide financial records that would explain everything. Abraham and, and Selena, they both threaten that they're going to report it to the police if she doesn't have the records to show this, if they, she can't prove why this is just innocent mistakes, which is what she's claiming. Saldivar repeatedly delayed the meeting to return the records, saying she was still compiling them. On March 29th, prior to one of those scheduled meetings, Saldivar told Selena that she had been sexually assaulted in Mexico. Selena was skeptical of this, arranged for Saldivar to be examined at a medical clinic in Corpus Christi on the morning of March 31st, and Selena met her there. The results of the medical exam were inconclusive, but afterwards, Saldivar told Selena to meet her at the Days Inn, where she claimed the records were that would prove her innocence. Selena did, in fact, meet Saldivar there, and we've already talked about what happened next. Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. 
So after the shooting, Saldivar runs from the hotel lobby. There was a 392-foot-long trail of blood as Selena was leaving and before she collapsed. Saldivar goes to her pickup truck. It's parked nearby, and she locks the doors with the gun still in hand. The police end up arriving. Uh, negotiators are attempting to talk her out of the truck. It's a really a tense moment, convincing her to surrender. Uh, she initially refuses to comply, and for over nine hours, they're in a standoff, essentially, yeah. with her with the gun in the truck. She threatens to commit suicide. She screams out in pain that she's killed her best friend. She's sort of confessing to what she's just done as, as a collapsed Selena is taken to the hospital and pronounced dead. The police eventually fire tear gas into the truck, and she does exit and is immediately taken into custody. Saldivar was charged with first-degree murder. She pled innocent, and her attorneys argued at trial that the shooting was accidental. Saldivar later gave an interview to 2020 in which she explained this defense, saying she had asked Selena to her room at the Days Inn that day so she could resign from working with the singer. She said Selena was despondent and collapsed to the floor, grabbed Saldivar's legs, and begged her not to leave her. But Saldivar was so determined to break things off, she pulled out a gun and put it to her own head, threatening to kill herself if Selena did not leave her alone. And here's what Saldivar says happened next. And I grabbed the gun, put it to my head. I pulled the thing back. And I said, if you don't leave, I'm going to do it to Lena. And she got up and she says, Mom, we need to talk about this. We need to talk about this. I'm going to close the door. And when she was walking to the door, she was going at an angle. And I told her, don't close the door. And in that instant, the gun went off. The uh, evidence is pretty overwhelming. I mean, if you're going to come up with a defense, I guess this is the one to come up with. But uh, there's a lot of facts we'll talk about in a second the prosecutor pointed to that just sort of undermine that assertion. Yeah, there's too much of a timeline of her increasing desperation after being accused of the financial misdeeds. This kind of story just falls apart pretty quickly. The prosecutors point out that Saldivar, a trained nurse, did not attempt to administer any help to Selena after she was shot, nor call 911. They also introduced testimony from multiple witnesses who said they heard Saldivar call Selena a bitch as she ran past her mortally wounded best friend in the hotel lobby. Remember, Selena was shot in the shoulder. It happened to hit a very important subclavian artery, but she could have potentially been saved. It wasn't she wasn't shot in the head yeah, and killed like, on impact. Like a trained nurse immediately puts pressure on the wound and you never know what uh, what it might happen in the end. Yeah, so that didn't happen. All of these facts very difficult to deal with at trial. It only lasts for 3 days and the jury deliberates for less than 3 hours. Uh, on October 26, 1995, Yolanda Saldivar was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole for 30 years. The max Maximum prison term allowed in Texas at the time. She's actually eligible for release on March 30th, 2025. Not too far away. It's not too far away. I think of Yolanda Saldivar as such a big name for striking down, you know, a, a burgeoning pop star. She's a little bit like Mark David Chapman, who, yep. who assassinated uh, John Lennon. This is not the type of person who's going to see the light of day in her lifetime. I don't think so. Before her death, Selena was working on her first crossover album, part Spanish, part English, called Dreaming of You. She had already recorded several of the songs for that album. It was posthumously released in July of 1995, a couple of months after her death, and debuted at number one on the Billboard charts, the only predominantly Spanish-language album ever to have done so, until Bad Bunny, that name comes up, until Bad Bunny came along. Its first single, I Could Fall in Love, is considered by many critics to be a masterpiece ballad, and it is by far Selena's most recognizable and most successful English-language song.
album, Dreaming of You, is still to this day the best-selling Latin album of all time. We talked earlier that she has the number four best-selling album of all time, predominantly Spanish album of all time, and she has number one as well with Dreaming of You. So this is the point in our episodes where we delve into the counterfactual, because you've set up that Selena is thought of by many people as this pop star who who was assassinated as she was beginning her prime. But as you've laid out, she was already quite big at the time yeah. of her death. She has still records that she holds in Mexico for selling albums and selling out certain venues. Where do you think Selena would be today? I'm going to steal your thought from killed? you. We talked about this four or five days ago about who Selena was, and you said she's J-Lo, which is... In a very real some, sense, There's too. some irony there, right? Yeah. Because uh, J-Lo ends up playing her fictionally. Play, well, I mean, she's it's a biopic that comes out in 1997, uh, maybe. It, it launched J-Lo. It there's launched no J-Lo, and it. it also increased the notoriety of Selena, the, the fame of Selena in a in a in, in much, much of the country that wasn't totally aware of her. Absolutely. Introduced her to a large segment of the population who it, just remembered that movie. But Selena at the time was starting to get commercial gigs. She had done the uh, Coca-Cola campaign. She was starting to get acting gigs. She was in a television show. She was on a, a, the track to become who J-Lo became. And remarkably, you know, so J-Lo plays her in the role. It, very similar in many, many respects. Yeah, and look, she was killed at such a young age that it's hard to know exactly where her career was going. But like Jennifer Lopez, who, you know, sings in Spanish, sings in English, she right. straddles those worlds as well. Jennifer Lopez has become a tremendous actress as well. I wonder if Selena would have gotten into that she realm. Absolutely she absolutely was trending physical that. beauty. And, and she wanted to do that. So, I mean, the, the, the parallel I don't want to overstate this, but the parallels are really there, both from bilingual households, both uh, both straddle the two the, their various their respective cultures, both very pretty, both very successful at a young age, both into singing, acting, dancing, the whole thing. They're very similar, and you got. I think the trajectory w- was similar. I think she could have been yet another JLo. Not to say that JLo wouldn't have been famous in her own right, but. I, I think, think they she were on could the same have been path. on the same parallel yeah, path, right. and I say that. Look, look at the demographics of America. I mean, it, yeah. we are largely now a, a, or a Hispanic culture. I mean, yeah. Bad Bunny is big for a reason. Gloria Stefan sort of started this early on. J Lo has carried it through. There's room for a lot of different pop stars to occupy this space. I think Selena had the talent. She had the drive, certainly, to do that. She was already into fashion. That's what, when, when I was reading about Selena and saw that she was into the boutiques and things of that nature, that's what celebrities do now. This yeah. is what Kanye West did to make billions of dollars. This yes. is what Sean Combs did. So she was really well, ahead you, of the curve. I mean, it's, it's Sean Combs and more sort of younger people. You have Cardi B, obviously, Absolutely. getting it, you know, the various people getting it. It's not, it's never just music anymore, right? It's Ever. music. And if you're really big, you're going to get into fashion, you're going to get into makeup, you're going to get into some other pursuit that is, you know, now alcohol is a huge thing. Some other pursuit to uh, build your income and your brand even further. And Selena was already doing these things back in the 1990s. Selena will always be remembered by the public as a singular musical talent and a trailblazer. But in the wake of her death, her father, Abraham, put all of that aside and said that her true legacy is not in her music. He said her true legacy is one of love, kindness, and generosity. And I am so proud to have been her father. <laughs> 